0: I invite you to be seated and also to pray with me this morning. Holy and gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us a word, having heard your scriptures read and proclaimed, that we might be transformed by a word we might hear from you, so that we might be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to be your love in the world. And that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Well, this morning is another week in our story about the unexpected and sometimes disruptive power of the Holy Spirit, as we have seen in the book of Acts. And I I really love that we've been taking a a kind of almost a chapter-by-chapter journey throughout the first part of Acts because it really unfolds so much. And then the author of Luke and Acts, I think, is trying to do so much to inspire us to do what I said a number of weeks ago, the craziest thing that God has ever done, which is entrusting you and I to be the presence of Jesus in the world. Uh, that when Jesus leaves during the ascension and before the power of the Holy Spirit comes on the church, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and all the earth. And I gave the analogy a long time ago uh, or a number of weeks ago of like, you know, getting Thor's hammer. If you're a Marvel's comics person, you know, and Thor has this giant hammer that only the power of Thor can wield. And it's like us being given this hammer and said, go, run, do your thing. And all of us like, wait a second, we're not Thor, though. <laughs> you know, like we definitely cannot do this. And over and over again, though, what we've been talking about is how you're right, we cannot do this. But there's something about this mysterious work of the Holy Spirit at work in us that allows us to do it. And the crazy thing is, is that the more that we think that we have the Holy Spirit and like have have this power, the more that we think that we are Thor, we fail to do it because we miss something. We miss something. And last week we talked about Peter and how Peter found himself in the exact same shoes as Jesus just five weeks earlier. And we talked about how Peter really hadn't done much different, but all of a sudden he'd been given this power. And five weeks ago when he was before, when Jesus went before the Sanhedrin and all the scribes and the Pharisees, it was a much different man. It was a man that, in the fear of the moment, denied Jesus multiple times, worried for his very life. And then last week, we saw Peter stand up, stand up so much and and say, you know, who are you? And the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they couldn't figure out what to do with this man. And then we find ourselves with this character, Stephen. And Stephen is one of the saints of the church. He is known as being the first martyr of the church. The first one to lay down his life on behalf of his witness to the church. And for us, that's a crazy concept, right? (laughs) For us, it's a crazy concept to think that our faith might drive us to do something as radical as lay down our lives, I think of not too many years ago, a story of some Christians following a ex-Methodist pastor named Jim Jones, <laughs> right? They followed Jim Jones, and they had gone and, and followed this religious zealot, and eventually this whole like compound commits suicide together, right? They drink the juice, and they like spend time, and then everyone sees them as crazy fanatics. And anyone willing nowadays to give up their life for their faith, are almost easily as kind of thought of in the same way. Crazy fanatics. Either they were misguided by the teachings of this misguided teacher, or they were longing for something because they came from poverty. Whatever it is, they're totally in the wrong to live out their faith in this radical way. And I think that sometimes, you know, we kind of uh, look at people with this extreme sense of faith, and we either say, we don't have it, Or we radicalize them in some ways. Like, oh, well, they're just kind of crazy, right? Or they just don't, you know, maybe took one too many drinks of that juice, right? But there's something about the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment of the church that gave not just Stephen, but all of the early apostles, except for one, ended up leading their life to martyrdom that they were able to have this power and courage and to stand up and to speak the truth. And and if you think to yourself, well, I don't know if I could do that— One of the things that's interesting as I've been prayerfully reflecting on this scripture, you know, we remember we talked about Jesus says, You're going to take Thor's hammer and you're going to go out. And so when we think of like some of the people that like give up their lives for the name of faith, it's the people that are like the most convinced about everything that's going to happen. And we just look at ourselves and again say they're either crazy or crazy, right? And we just don't think that we can think about it. But what's surprising is, you know, those words that Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? We think of that as you know the people that are going to stand up for God and you know go boldly off into the adventurous future of the unknown and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Well, did you catch in the re- scripture reading the reason in which the early Christians left Jerusalem? The reason in which the early Christians left Jerusalem was this event. It wasn't because they were empowered to, like, do something they never thought that they could do. It's because they became a diasporic people. A people that were fearful of what was going to happen to them if they stayed in this place. And they went out. And as they went out, they proclaimed good news. All of a sudden, this persecution started happening of the followers of the way, which is what they called the early church. And they thought that they would end up like Stephen. And so I imagine the early disciples said, go, go, get out of here, get out of the city. And the spread of God's proclamation charge to all of us began out of that sort of like, oh, instant moment, this moment is a kind of a fearful moment that goes out. And I want to make this kind of audacious claim that Living out our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit kind of lives in this limbo of fear and sort of faith. That being, going out in the name of Jesus and the proclamation and the power of the Holy Spirit lives in the limbo between faith and fear. Faith and fear. Because Stephen, what we skipped over in his 51 verses, I spared you of that. I invite you to go back and read it. Is he tells the story of Israel and the church? He tells the story of Israel and the church in so much that the they've given the opportunity throughout the history that God had created all things, and then you know, Abraham and was called out to be God's people. And then kind of over and over again, they could be faithful or they could complain about their situation wandering in the wilderness. They could be faithful, or they could put up false idols before them. And it's this sort of this kind of dualistic choice that they're given over and over. And what we hear in Stephen, in the scripture that I read, is the very end of it. You know, it was the very tail end. He had gone on for this whole time depicting the choices that we have to make. But eventually saying, you stiff-necked people, why do you continue to choose the other way? Because the thing, remember I said between faith and fear, this is the life of the Jews at the time. They were and still are a diasporic people, a people spread out, a people that have earned their faith through the persecution, through the difficult circumstances, through the Babylonian exile, through the challenge of staying faithful amidst the Greeks that came in and desecrated the temple. And then now trying to find a way of faithfulness under the Roman regime. They had found a way to be faithful, to be God's people under difficult circumstances. And so, but they missed it at one point, right? In this opportunity, either they were fearful of losing their power or fearful of losing control or losing their way to the faith, or they were fearful or they were too faithful, right? Too strong-willed to say that we are the faithful chosen of God, that they missed it. But faithfulness stood in between the two. It wasn't completely driven out of fear. It wasn't completely driven out of 100% conviction that I know the way. Faithfulness stood in limbo of faith and fear. And it is easy to think about demonizing those Jewish people like Saul, Who persecuted the early Christians of the way. But I wonder, when was the last time you asked a question that wasn't said out loud by the Pharisees and the scribes, but it was lingering there? Who are you? Right? It was lingering there in the room when Stephen came. Well, who are you? When was the last time you heard someone, whether it's that new recruit that has this bright idea and they want to, you know, break orders and protocol. You can tell I'm not in the military, but you break protocol and they want to tell you what you should do. Well, who are you? Who are you? Or this new Christian to faith and you have been born and raised a Methodist your whole life. And now this new person comes and asks you a question. Well, doesn't the Bible say this? Well, who are you? who are you? Or maybe it's different. Maybe it's a worldview, right? Maybe it's, you know, coming from the outskirts or the margins, a different theological viewpoint as your own, and you ask yourself, well, who are you? Maybe it's appearance-based. I think we ask, we're tempted, right, to ask that question ourselves, whether it's in the church or just in our normal life, to ask that question, who are you? Do you really belong? Do you you have a voice? And we don't intentionally think it. We don't say it out loud. The the leaders of the scribes, they didn't say it about Stephen, but it was lingering there, right? It was in the room. Either you're fearful that someone's going to take your power or you're just totally convinced that you have the authority All of it. And I think that is the the challenge of our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the challenge of our faith and the power of the Holy Spirit is to stay somewhere in uncertainty. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, theologian, talks about faith as a happy passion. Happy passion by which our understanding steps aside and we take a leap, he calls it, the leap of faith, perhaps you've heard of. He steps out into risk. That the moment that you feel like you know everything is the moment when faith seems to be faith. And at the same time, if you're given over to fear, that the uncertainty is just too much to take that step. Your faith well, where does it take you? And I've used this analogy in the past and I just love it. So I'm just gonna say it again. But you know, the, the movie the, the, uh, from Indiana Jones, the pinnacle scene of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where I think it's, that's the one where they're going after to find the Holy Grail and Indiana Jones, and he sits there up at the ledge, right? And it's just like a gap. And he gets something that no one else gets, right? He takes the dust after. Well, his, first he takes that step, the leap of faith. Nothing there below him. And then when he thinks he might fall, he lands. And then of course he gets the dust and like throws it in front of him, and he knows there's a bridge there. But it was that first step that Soren Kierkegaard talks about as faith. Not knowing, but taking the risk. None the same. And and we can think about this in modern times too: fear of failure. Or economic loss can drive so much of our decisions. At some times, think of an influential book that I read uh, called *Creativity Inc.* by Ed Catmull. He's the president of both Pixar, uh, like, the Pixar animations, and Disney animations. And he didn't start as Disney animation president. He started as Pixar. Which was all of a sudden became known, right as Disney kind of was like going through a lull in the movies. The their box office was not doing well, and people were kind of getting tired of the princess song bits that they had going on. And then Disney, and then Pixar was doing this creative stuff that you know, and they're winning all of the Oscars for animated films over and over and over again. And one of the things that Ed talks about, it's kind of a narrative of his life and his journey. He, He talks about the challenge it is to take risks and empower artists to take risks. But he is also the president of a company. And he knows that there's all sorts of other things like timelines that have to be followed. There's marketing that helps drive the funding for everything. And so he uses language and he talks about you must feed the beast. (laughs) You must feed the beast of the institution and the marketing and everything. But you cannot let the beast devour the creativity and the sense of risk. A perfect example of what am I talking about or what was he talking about is in the movie Encanto. You seen the movie Encanto? We watched our movie night recently. uh, From what I understand, it's a movie uh, about a Latinx family, right? And they uh, lived. All of them have these superpowers, and one of the characters is this strong woman. Her name is Luis. She's a she's a strong woman. She has a song that all the kids live like "Pressure Going to Drip Drip Drip, Gonna Never Stop." Right? You know the song if you're a parent of small kids because you've heard it over and over again. That, and let's not talk about Bruno, but. But it's this song, and, and, and it was so popular. I remember my kids were watching this show, and they were, like, bopping up and down. And there was, like, really, like, an amazing song about this really strong woman who felt the pressure of the family to always be strong, right? But from what I find out is that actually the artists of that movie had to fight tooth and nail to make that character who she was. Because they said, no one is ever going to buy a strong, like, latin woman as a doll right or figure they're not gonna relate to this character I mean, because she's like hercules size she's buff and there's no one's gonna buy this no one's no one's gonna do this and and yet they had to like fight to say to the marketing the beast to say let's risk this right it's worth it and you know what they can't make enough of those dolls to keep them on the shelves <laughs> and she's one of the most popular characters in the entire movie but you can just see that that question that's lingering. Well, who are you? Who is this character? No one's gonna want this this perspective, this voice, right? Now nah, no one's gonna relate to that strong butch woman. No one wants that. But sure enough, that risk surprised everyone. And that's what Ed talks about over and over again in his book, about how you need to be willing to take the risk to foster that and to not be overcome by fear, right? They're fearful. It's either off-brand or it's just going to be an economic tank, right? It's just going to go down like the Titanic. And we can be fearful about the same things in our lives of faith, just in our lives, we can be overcome and succumb by what's next or what might be. Or at the same time, we can be so sure of ourselves that we know the way, the truth, and the light, and it is here. And in both instances, we miss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in us and to come, be in us, empower us to have the confidence and strength to overcome fear and to have the foresight and the wisdom to not be blinded by our own sense of assuredness. And it's partly that question, who are you? And do you belong that we must keep at bay? And we must never be fearful of creating space and Opportunity for voices and diversity and people to come into our lives. I've been reading this past week from a professor that I come to find out wrote a, a, book, a book on the book of Acts after graduate school. His name is Willie Jennings. He's a black theologian and I ended up taking a number of classes with him, one of my most influential professors in divinity school. And so here he was, wrote the book, and I'm like, yes! have an interpretive lens for the book of Acts. But he talks about this liminal space. And one of the things that he noticed when he was at seminary, I watched his transition. He was a black theology professor, kind of born and bred in that vein. And having an opportunity to bring black voices into the theological world, into the church, so that they might have a place and have a voice and not be limited by either their perception or whatever. So he'd been working on that. But it was somewhere in the midst of my time in seminary that he had a phrase. And he goes, what I realize is that the black problem is the women's problem, is the LGBT problem, that is all encompassed together under this perception of others asking, who are you? And do you belong? Of course, no one says it. They don't say it out loud. We don't, I grew up not talking about race or about sexism or about any of those isms in Minnesota. We're Minnesota nice and politically correct. But it's there. How do we be willing to allow others to come, to speak the truth in love, and to name faults where they are, or name challenges? Beginning of this month, I talked about the challenge that faces the Methodist church, challenge around who are we and who's welcome. And a number of churches that are leaving the United Methodist Church because they don't believe that all persons can be ordained and lead within the church. This is a current place that we find ourselves in. Just a a couple weeks ago, I was talking to someone, and you know what I said? Actually, last week, last week, I was talking to someone. About our church and where we were, because they asked me straight up, "Where are you amidst the division in the Methodist Church?" And I said, "Well, our church made a proclamation like two and a half years ago. We wrote a statement because we thought it was important to say it. And you know what, friends? We had been fearful as a church. What would happen? Or you know, we had been so convinced that we knew the answer. But when we proclaimed something, when we stepped into that liminal space. We didn't know what was going to happen." I've had dozens of people with the same refrain as that person this past week. I'm so thankful that your church has said this. When we take a risk, we don't know what might happen, but something, the power of the Holy Spirit might be there. It might transform us. But we must be willing to take that step of faith, to take the risk, not be overcome by fear, not be so sure that we know. And that speaks to both sides Over and over again, that's something we must be working towards. Not being overcome by fear. Not being so sure of ourselves. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, the power of your Holy Spirit has the ability to change us. Sometimes we're too rigid and miss your speaking. And other times we're too fearful to proclaim the truth in love, to allow the other in. But we know, God, that your Holy Spirit has worked in the past and started with whispers and moved into these loud voices and movements of the Spirit. Where voices that were once margins become voices that proclaim the goodness of your beauty in the world. So as a people, let us not be bound, stuck in the way that we have been. Proud of the faithfulness we've earned the place we have at the table, and at the same time let us not be overcome to let those whispers turn into a beautiful song. Amen.